Episode 17, Chester Ray Stadium, 1974. School superintendent Robert Fessler had a vision for the Marceline campus, and one of the elements of the plan was the construction of a new football stadium. Dr. Fessler believed he could use volunteer labor to do much of the work at the new stadium, and his most important volunteer was Chester Ray. Chester Ray was a recently retired civil engineer. In 1974, Dr. Fessler recruited him to oversee the construction of the new field. Chester had already been the district's liaison during construction of the new field house the previous year. He had an even larger role at the stadium. Chester and the other volunteers made it possible to construct the new field within a limited budget. That was important to Dr. Fessler because he had many other building projects planned for the future. I was not a prime contributor to the labor force for construction, but I did get involved in one small aspect. I was asked to help attach metal conduit to the poles that would hold the lights for the field. The original light poles were wooden and were 100 feet long. I don't want to mislead anyone. This was before the poles were erected. There were several other men working on this project so my part was relatively small. It was the only part of the construction in which I was involved. Chester Ray Stadium wasn't designed for football only. It also included a track and runways for jumping events. The track was a 440-yard one. So adjustments had to be made a few years later when the sport went metric. The running surface was crushed brick, often called red dog. This was a popular surface at the time, but it did require that the lanes and other markings had to be reapplied with marble dust before each home track meet. The Red Dog track created some unique challenges. In the 1980s, it was necessary to apply an additional two-inch layer to restore the surface. The material could only be acquired in quantity from a quarry in a southern state, and it could only be shipped in railroad cars. The massive community effort required to unload and spread the rock is a subject for a later episode. I really didn't know Chester Ray very well until I became the athletic director in 1983. Then I saw him often when I would be working at the field. In those days, the head maintenance man, Randy Jury, and I 
loaded the trash barrels the day after a game and hauled the contents to the dumpster. I would wear coveralls over my dress slacks and shirt. I think it took Chester a while to figure out exactly what my role at the school was. But once he figured out that I had some responsibilities for the football field, he sought me out whenever he saw me at the stadium. He even made me a custom shovel to use to clear the field drains and told me it would be my job when he was gone. Chester loved to talk about the stadium. One of his favorite things to ask me was, how deep do you think those light poles are buried in the ground? And then he would explain the rule. 10% plus 2 feet. So I learned that the 100-foot poles were buried 12 feet in the ground. Chester told me this practically every time he saw me. I guess he thought I might be a slow learner. Chester Ray was not involved in the creation of the stadium club, but I'm sure he approved of the work they did at the field. Actually, the origins of the group, which has taken care of game day preparations for almost 40 years, is very interesting. The responsibility for marking the lines on the football field was traditionally assigned to the football coach and his assistant coaches. From 1970 to 1983, the football coach and the athletic director was the same person. Jim Coyle, Terry Michaels, and Bruce Young all took their turn at the task. The conventional process involved using marble dust and spray paint to mark the sidelines and yard lines. There were no logos, no tigers lettered in the end zone. When I became the athletic director in 1983, it was understood that I would assume some responsibility in the field marking process. Fortunately, the new head coach, Jose Quintero, had been an assistant coach for several years, so it was a smooth transition. I deferred to Jose's experience, but was always present for the work. It wasn't a ter terribly difficult job, at least not in the late summer and early fall, Spray cans were not yet in use for marking fields. We had to first mix the paint with water. Then we used a pressure tank on wheels to create an aerosol. The paint tank had to be pumped by hand. We used a long section of string to mark a line and pushed the paint tank along it, applying the paint to the grass. It became a much less pleasant task in October and November. The paint nozzle frequently clogged and had to be cleaned with soapy water. This became very unpleasant as the water temperature dropped in the late fall.
but there were usually three or four of us working, so we took turns doing the worst part. When Bill Dennis became the head football coach in the fall of 1984, I expected to be involved with field preparation as I had been the year before. I was surprised, and not unpleasantly, to find out that a group of men had volunteered to take on the work. I never really knew if Coach Dennis had been involved in creating the new group, but all the coaches and I benefited from it. We didn't have to worry about cold nights and frozen hands anymore. The new recruits took to the work with enthusiasm. The buzz created when the district had hired Bill Dennis as coach helped draw fans to the group. They would turn on the stadium lights on Thursday night which of course invited even more curious fans to come down to the field to see what was going on. They would often cook food in the concession stand, something that created a bit of an issue with the band boosters who ran the stand. But the man had a great time and did a great job. The painting of the field quickly evolved into more than just lines and numbers with tiger drawings and tigers lettering in the end zone and exciting promotions like skydivers delivering the game ball. It added to the excitement at home games. Chester Ray Stadium became one of the most exciting high school venues in the state. Painting the field wasn't the only contribution the stadium club made. It has continued to be a prime catalyst in improving Chester Ray Stadium. The monuments to Cotton Cavanaugh and Michael Shellman, lighting on the M Hill, and the walls of engraved bricks and plaques have all added to the beauty and history of the stadium. Metal bleachers, an all-season track, locker rooms, new lighting, and a new concession stand have helped the school keep pace with other high school fields. I'm sure Chester would be pleased by the care that has been given to the stadium he designed. You may be thinking, where are the stories about the exciting events that have been held at Chester Ray Stadium in the last 50 years? Football games, track meets, graduations, centennial pageants. I'm sure that everyone has their own favorite memories of things that happened there. I do too, and I'll share some of mine later. Chester Ray died in 1991. For the public viewing and funeral, he was dressed in the Marceline letter jacket that had been given to him by the school at the first game on the new field. He made a hand-lettered sign that he wanted to be displayed on his coffin. It read, as I am now, so you shall be one day. 
That may sound a bit ominous, but I think it was just Chester's way of saying that he cared about people and wanted lots of company in heaven. Chester's funeral procession from the church to the cemetery took a slight detour. It passed by the stadium, where the black rage flag was displayed at half-mast. A fitting end for a true tiger.